BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shade. Oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You know, this entire whole podcast. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? Thank you for tuning in to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mystic Mark, and today's conversation is with guest Hope Ascendant. Awareness is key because awareness helps us to finally tune our discernment. And when we have finely tuned discernment, we don't fall for bullshit. That's just what it is. So as far as beginning to kind of get into awareness, if you've never meditated before, that's going to be probably the first place you want to go. And you want to not meditate with a purpose of trying to clear your mind. I personally don't think that's the path forward. I think meditation is a way for you to get quiet and start to see the thread, identify the thread and pull on the thread wherever that may lead. Whether you're experiencing like the, I get like a lot of visuals when I meditate. And so I follow that story and I see what comes up and I look for symbolism in that. 
And I suppose that would lead me to another aspect is like of awareness is really identifying that symbolism. So many things show up in your life on a daily basis that maybe you don't even consider because you, you're not aware about your environment. And when you begin to come, become to this awareness of your environment, you begin to detect the patterns of the environment. You begin to see the things that show up for you and the signs that show up for you. And so that helps to establish that I'd like to first ask you to to start this off. Where does this journey begin? Because your specialty is very unique, and especially in this time where there's more than ever a widening gap between generation, whatever they are, the boomers beyond. My grandparents are a little older than the boomer generation, but there's a widening gap now. Kids that are 10, 12, they're fully integrated in this metaverse digital world Whereas my grandparents, I'm not sure how old you are, but I'm, maybe your grandparents, they remember a day when there was barely even television in everyone's home. So mm-hmm. clearly things have changed. And I think now more than ever, we need to connect these links between who we are now and who we were, our ancestors and so on. So don't let me go on. Where does this journey start for you, Hope? Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. It's so good to meet you. I'm actually curious too to like learn more about what what led you to having me on the show and like what kind of piqued your interest about that. But I guess first I'll say this has been like a lifelong experience because I come from a pretty interesting background where growing up we were very connected with the environment around us. There are some other facets of that that I won't like dig deep into because it's nuanced, it's complex. I had a lot of experiences and and those experiences were so diverse that they really shaped, I guess, my curiosity for the world around me and our role as human beings in the world around us and also how our cultural backgrounds play a role in this, like linking back to traditional healing ways in our own lineages and also experiencing shared culture from other lineages and tapping into those original praxis and bringing that into the now because we're quantum biological beings and we have become so segregated from this quantum biological universe that we're in. And there's a reason everyone is unhappy, not content, sick. And and we have this capacity to get really dialed in and heal ourselves, get into our awareness of the sort of natural coding of the environment around us with our own coding. It's myriad. But I'll say that like when I was in college, university, however you want to frame that. My focus was anthropology. And growing up, I was that kid who just like stared and like observed other humans and like their behavior and the way they would interact. And I was always very curious, not only about humans, but I was always curious about sacred objects and the role that sacred objects play. And so as I was digging into anthropology, 
I was like this. There were many things I thought I would be doing up to that point. But when I found out, I was like, this is the thing. This, this is how we get it. And I'll never forget, like, the first time I held a, a pot shirt that was excavated from a Mayan site, actually, I could just feel the energy in it. And I was blown away. And this is in a fairly technical soft science, right? Because of the soft science course. But there was something very exciting to me about discovering the practices and the why and the experiences and the way culture was cultivated around these types of things. So I just kind of like continued to pull at that thread and then ended up doing a dig, actually a couple digs, but one of the primary sites was in Northern Illinois. And I started unearthing the story by assembling the pieces that I was unearthing from the ground I was able to create a story about the people that were there. And so this is like another facet of connecting the dots. I guess that's really what this is all about is like being in such deep awareness about and, and, and consciousness of detecting these little pieces that the full experience, the full story comes into being. And yeah, that's, that's kind of like where I'm at. I have a lot of other thoughts about how we can reconnect through, to the natural order through things like real sky astrology. We can get into that later, but yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and to answer your, your question about how I was introduced to your content and what you're putting out there, it was through my girlfriend, Tara. She said, oh, check out, check out this Instagram video and it was you. I forget which video it was, but yeah, started following and started checking out what you're talking about here on your Instagram. And I thought this is definitely a person that deserves to be on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And the anthropology subject, I'm glad you brought that up. It's actually a big part of why I even started this podcast when I was in community college the only class I was really interested in was anthropology mm. and I was lucky enough to have a very well he was very young but he was also a very open-minded professor who gave us three weeks in to school I mean this was my freshman year three weeks in he gave us the the week's lesson was conspiracy theory so me I loved that I'm like wow okay this guy acknowledges it so he asked us, hey, you're studying humans. I want you guys to go and research a conspiracy theory. So, of course, I took the ball and ran with it. And that was one of my favorite courses. But I remember initially I found that whole subject when I was much younger, looking through various like religions, sort of like off-brand spiritualities. And one of them that came about was anthroposophy, which is mm -hmm. sort of like these like, I guess the theosophists of the day that were a little more scientifically minded. I forget, I think it was maybe Rudolf Steiner or someone like him who promoted that. And it was kind of like a blend of the two, like anthropology and this sort of metaphysical worldview. So a lot of reasons why I love that subject, although I did slowly start to become disappointed with anthropology, at least the route that I might have taken if I had stayed in college seemed like it was sort of, well, limited, right? Because that's just how some of these sciences end up, especially within university. They 
become limited by whichever professor's dominant bias and so on and so forth. But particularly when it comes to pot shards and things that we can find, these stone structures that I've talked so much about on my show, they do carry this innate conscious energy because we have to keep in mind these be these items we can think of them as objects but really every piece of what's around us has some aspect of consciousness attached to it and then you magnify that times the fact that someone possibly hundreds possibly thousands possibly maybe decades who knows people have interacted with this same object that you're then interacting with and i have to ask you i mean do you think that we can imprint consciousness into something like a pottery piece of pottery to be sort of that thought form sort of preserved like a time capsule and then shared. I mean, you've experienced that. That I assume that's kind of what you're explaining there when you felt this rush holding that pot shard. Yeah, I absolutely believe this is possible. It's not, it's not just like the whole ghost in the machine principle. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, this is, this is, this is honestly like some of the work that I do in talisman creation for folks. So I've been really my whole life, like literally since I was nine years old, I've been making talismans and I gave up on it for a while because I feel like there was a span of my adult life where I was like, I need to shut this down. It's getting intense. Kind of let me get plugged back in to the matrix for a little bit here and, and just chill. But it revived itself in my life around 2019-ish, which I feel like seems like a lot of people had that stirring in 2019. And I just felt compelled to return to it, but with a, a new lens of the energy healing work that I do. So I am a Reiki master, but I have my own application that I work through with this. And we can get into the why of that. But in any case, with respect to your question about infusing consciousness into these things, making a talisman for someone, I am facilitating pulling through the specific energies and frequencies that lead to the assemblage of their custom talisman. And in this, I'm working with crystals and I feel like there's been like a lot of like current people trying to be like edgy about crystals being like, oh, you don't need them and all of this stuff. And it's like maybe in the commercial sense, but these are carrying the codes of the earth. And so the codes of the earth are then infused in these sacred objects the same way, leading back to the pot shirt, the interactions with that piece were held within. And I have no doubt that the earth that it was created with also facilitated that energetic container. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you brought up talisman making. I wasn't aware that you do that. I myself wrap crystals and just the process of doing that, the hours you put into it, you're naturally infusing thought into these little crystals that themselves carry information yes. much beyond your interaction with it, right? I mean, that's something that forget where we're discussing this or maybe I listened to somebody say this on a podcast but there are crystals that are essentially 
older than the rest of life itself. This stone that can store all information that's transponded as it's receiving, because it's this little, I, I, help me explain. I mean, to say it's a battery almost is too simple. It, it's more complex than that, right? It stores like a computer almost, right? I mean, would you agree exactly. with that? Totally. Yes. It's. It, I, I view it as not just like the sort of memory card, but also a, a key. Like you would, I don't know, thinking in like Superman type terms, the, the crystal being inserted like a key into the earth. And so when you're extracting that, that key is holding this information that you're then utilizing in whatever magical purposes or talismanic purposes that you're carrying it for. But also you need to be in a level of awareness for you to be dialed in to feel that thing. And I think as we view the landscape of the internet and the myriad definitions of crystals and what they mean, I also think it's really important for us to look at each crystal as an individual and what that is energetically aligned with, with us or whomever we're serving with that, because it's not going to be like a rose quartz is for the heart basic thing all the time. Yeah, it definitely feels like the commercialism aspect has diluted true understanding of that. I think the most organic experience you can have with the crystal goes beyond anything that someone can describe about that crystal, right? It's it's something like a relationship that you'd have maybe with a pet, right? It's, it goes beyond words, right? You can't reach out and say, oh, I love you. You can, I mean, but the dog's not going to talk back to you, right? It's maybe thinking that, right? right? <laughs> it's possibly thinking that our, our loved ones, our animals. And I, I think crystals are in the same vein, like these conscious beings with a mind of their own that we either can have a positive or a negative interaction with. I, I spend a lot of time, at least when I first began gathering crystals, I would spend a lot of time in the store that I would frequent. They have all these buckets and you just kind of walk around listening to whatever Enya track that they're <laughs> playing at the time. And I'm just waiting for the right crystal to grab my eye and, and, yeah, now I have so many that I, I feel like, okay, I have enough. These are the, the ones that I was called to. And, and now it's very rare that I'll see a crystal and be like, oh, okay, I need this too. But there is this sort of personal relationship that we can forge with these objects. And yeah, I think the average person might look at that from the outside and think, oh, that's silly. You have a pet rock or something. But there is a, a scientific explanation for this. I and mean, really, I think even the skeptics would maybe think twice about that. And to mention computers again, all of our computers mm -hmm. have crystals in them. So, I mean, it is a functional object in the sense. It's a functional being. Completely. I just feel like people, they're... <laughs> You could, I suppose, measure this with a aura photo with what you what's happening when you have like the crystals on you versus not and do a comparison that way. But even that sort of suspect for people who are like like in the science, the the modern science is God set. And I think in order to convince people, we really need to create some sort of measurement or, or caliber of measurement 
that will give folks the ability to visually see what the the energetic impact is. Yeah, I I wonder. I mean, I think we're getting there with technology and and people's minds opening up. Maybe I'm sort of reeling off of last night's conversation I had with Dr. Birdwell, who was talking about the fractals, the sort of patterns that make up the universe and how even on a molecular level, we can see these ratios and how they evolve into the beautiful patterns we see in nature. But to take it back into maybe where we started, when you're sinking into awareness and you want to connect with something like, let's say you're seven generations behind you, right? So you're great, 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 whatever. Is it useful to be in the area where you were born, they were born? And do you think the minerals, the crystals in the ground to integrate them into this question play a a factor in that, right? Because each environment has its own geological makeup, right? I mean, some of them are similar, but there are unique aspects of geology no matter where you go, right? So do you think like being where you were born facilitates this kind of link and and maybe would help someone become more aware of of that connection to their ancestors or, or facilitate that communication with their ancestors? I certainly think it can amplify. I don't think that if you're, for for example, not in that specific location or able to access that location or simply don't know where that location is, I don't think that that would be a blocker or an obstacle to getting dialed in to that information because our, this, even though our soul is could be in many different avatars from many different families before in this avatar, we still have that genetic coding and information that we can tap into in order to experience that and draw information from that. But I do believe it to be, excuse me, not believe experience. I do experience it to be helpful to, to kind of extrapolating on our lived experience to be present with not only the space and time that we were born, but the actual physical position of the planets and celestial bodies, the stars in the sky above us. Because just from my own channeling of information, what I think happens is when we, when our soul, or we have many souls, but in this, again, in this avatar, when our soul descends, through the atmosphere into this avatar and like lands wherever we're being born, we're actually crossing through that entire plane of planets and stars. And we're collecting information about the experience that we're going to have here on earth. And some of the attributes of and characteristics that we're going to take on when we take on this role. The thing is that most folks are following Western astrology, which is tropical tropical astrology, which is relevant to the Northern Hemisphere and over the course of 2,000 years, no longer aligns with what's actually in the physical sky above us. And so I think it's important for 
all of us to if who are interested in astrology, who are talking about our own astrology and using our signs to be descriptors in communication for us to really figure out where it is these celestial bodies were physically when we descended into this avatar. I promise you it will make the most sense and it'll be like an epiphany when you begin discovering it because I will never forget my moment when I actually discovered it. I was in Mount Shasta of all places. You can actually see the physical stars in the sky there. It's very different. But but at this time, we were supposed to be in Virgo season. And I was like, just preparing to kind of scope around, see what was up in the sky. And I I also was assisted by this wonderful real sky app that shows the map of the sky. And I was like, Leo, huh? What? I thought it was, I thought this was Virgo season. What's up with Leo? And that was the moment then that like I decided, cause this is the way I am. I discover something or learn something. And then I go down a rabbit hole about it and I try to find out all the things about it. And that's when I discovered that tropical astrology has nothing to do with the physical environment mm. anymore. At <laughs> right. one time it did, right? And I know there's a lot of arguments about like the seasons and how it plays a role in the seasons and is based on the seasons. Man, when it was created, it lined up with the stars in the sky. Mm. And the thing about these celestial bodies along the ecliptic is that they are interpreted as sky gods, mm. right? So they're kind of like, making the narrative for us right. so to segregate ourselves from that doesn't really doesn't really work and also just one more thing on that it's astrology astrologia the language of the stars right it's the language of the stars not the language of the seasons right right wow now i've thought a lot about this and i guess if i'm a libra under sidereal astrology, I'd actually be a Virgo. And with that in mind, let's imagine we go to an alternative universe where the number two is three and the number three is four and so on, right? They just call them differently, but it's still the same number you and I both know. It's just one name wrong in our kind of way of understanding it. The number three is still three, even though they're calling it four. Would that still be true here where maybe the way we understand a Libra is all still the same, except we should just be calling it Virgo? Or as a proper Virgo, should I go back and look at what they're saying about Virgo? I mean, because this is where I sort of get confused with sidereal astrology, because even though our understanding of when it's happening has kind of been shifted off a month, we're still kind of experiencing this change of the planets behind the sun, right? As the seasons go through and as the moons shift, we're, we're experiencing the same cycle. It's just our kind of the way we verbally understand it has been skewed by a month, a matter of degrees, right? So do you get kind of what I'm aiming at there? Totally. And the thing is, it's about the, think of it, this is how I like to describe this, like the entire experience around us is like in the natural environment is like gears clicking together. And so 
when we're not honoring what's really happening in our physical environment, I feel strongly those gears are not clicking together because, and, and really when they are clicking together, they're informing the experience that we have. And I guess when something's in the collective consciousness and imagined, there is still some energetic weight to that, right? So even if it's not physically happening, there may be a manifestation of maybe feeling that way. But I would say this, yes, go look at the traits of Virgo. Dig into that, but also be mindful of what that means for your sun sign, right? And also look in your chart and see where you might have Libra, because this is also, it's not just like sun, moon rising. This is, I'm still examining my own chart. Years later, I'm still like checking back and like looking at where the placements are and what houses they're in relative to what's going on right now, because yes, it might seem exhaustive, but it just becomes more and more fascinating to dig down the rabbit hole of your own lived experience and see how the universe around us shapes that. But yeah, look into the different placements and and where those lie, because you just might, if you embody Libra traits, you might have that somewhere else in your chart. Yes. And I do have my chart somewhere lying around with my books. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. I particularly, when it comes to my signs, I'm almost certain that there are aspects of my chart that reflect the people around me and my family. And I'm wondering on a karmic level on maybe like multiple lifetime scale, do you think that like our, cause in other words, our sidereal astrology, our chart is like a thumbprint, right? The same way that your thumbprint was sort of molded when you were born stays that same pattern for the rest of your life. When we look back at our chart, it's like that snapshot of where the planets were when we were born, right? So do you think that there's a certain like chemistry that's involved with, okay, Hope's going to be born with this mother and this father or this situation with this sister or brother or whatever. And because of that, maybe your mother's a Leo or your father and so on. And so do you think that that, that is accounted for at all? Or is this all just kind of up up in the air. <laughs> I I do think it's accounted for as a component, not a driver. Mm. Because I also think that there's a lot of like numerological coding that goes into your familial experience and the avatars mm. that you link up with in this lifetime. I think there's past life experiences that you're drawing upon that you end up with folks in this lifetime <laughs> from past life experiences and you're part of that unit. So it's, it's more dynamic than just your chart. I think your chart respective to how you descended through the atmosphere and, and picked up those traits is really relative to understanding like your physical body, your experience of being human. Yeah. It's almost like a guide that you're given when you're born, right? Okay. Your soul chose to come in to this avatar at this point in time. There's definitely a rhyme and a reason for that moment. And I, I think that yeah, this is a part of the unraveling that we all need to at least get a little taste of in our lifetime. Because I feel like 
this American idea of a midlife crisis only exists because our parents' generation had this idea that, oh, I need to go get a job, pay for the house, pay for the cars, pay for the kids so they can get to college and they can rinse and repeat, right? And Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, call it spiritual or otherwise, I feel like in the past three or four generations, there's been all sorts of varieties of reasons why people are like, no, I'm not going to do it that way. Each person has their own unique reason for that. But yeah, it's all the more important to start to look within and and see where your life has gotten you up into this point. I mean, that that is something that I think astrology is really good for. As you pointed out, the logic in astrology, there's a there is a, a quest that each of us are on to determine exactly what our purpose is in a lot of ways. I mean, with this purpose that you have garnered, do you think that your folks think you're crazy or are they sort of on board with this? I mean, I have chosen a family, I'll say that. And so my grandparents were like parents to me, but they are no longer present on this earth plane. And, you know, I feel like they actually, they nurtured this level of curiosity in me. My grandfather always used to say, don't be a rubber stamp. And that never had a problem because my whole life, everyone was like, you're so different when I was even trying to fit in. But my chosen family, I, I think that a lot of us are kind of like surfing the same curiosity wavelength. And so not so much. What I, what I do think is, and maybe this happens to you too, I would be curious to know, but Sometimes when I get into these types of conver- conversations or God forbid, get tangential, the the receivers who like really either don't care or don't know will often change the subject. And I think that they think it's a little bit crazy. Yeah, I think there is an aspect to this that's very personal and maybe people for whatever reason in this lifetime aren't ready to to face those kind of questions. I mean... The term NPC has kind of become popular in memes and whatnot. Do you think that there's maybe a, a more, I don't know, sympathetic explanation for those people other than they're, they're just non-persons? I, I think that's sort of in, on the face of it a little bit presumptuous that certain people don't have souls and others do. That's how I interpret it sometimes when people say it, but it does... It does feel like there are people that just for whatever reason that doesn't ever cross their mind to go inward. And I I wonder, do you think that that's like a karmic, like something that they maybe they chose like, hey, I'm going to walk into this avatar totally ignorant. Yeah. It's so funny that you asked this because this is like an eternal curiosity for me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assessing it from multiple angles often. And I think just from, from, again, lived experience, I think there might be an element of NPC-ness in, in society. Sometimes I'm like, oh, like during, obviously, like during the pandemic, it's just like people were like masked and linked into their phones and you would walk by them and I would be like, hey, smile, be like, hey, how's it going? I hope you're having a great day type of thing. And it was just like, they would continue on just linked in like fully. And I'm like, was that, was that person real? 
did they or were they so wrapped up in whatever was going on on their phone? Mm. And so I, I do question it sometimes. I feel like that explanation doesn't even cover it. It's almost it's like a vibe that you get like you were saying. But I also think there are certainly people that came here that maybe maybe they need a break from being aware. Perhaps they were very aware in prior lives or lifetimes and they ended up here. They just needed to chill for a minute. And so they're just going to concern themselves with the mundane. Yeah. Uh, I should also say that there's there's folks that just are so like wrapped up in their own stressors and identifying with their own trauma that they 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 can't even possibly conceptualize opening their eyes to such things or or giving time mm-hmm. or credence to it and that's okay too i think i think right now maybe the most important thing is for us to <laughs> i i don't know i i have historically been like the savior of humanity type and so i'm constantly trying to like get the word out and get people on board but I, I feel like that's exhausting our resources at this point. And while we certainly need to continue to do that, we don't want to like by any means put ourselves back to sleep or to sleep. I think it's incumbent upon us right now to really connect with our like-minded kin and reinforce the community structures with our like-minded kin. Kin, because all of this other stuff is creating so many distractions from us achieving the greater goal. In, in community and reconnecting to the old way through that. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel that way. I think there is a certain aspect to each of our own lives that requires a certain amount of that energy of waking people up because, you know, who's going to if you don't? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, yeah, I do. I mean, just the other day I went to Target And the person at the register, I said hello to them. They didn't say hello back. I I looked them in the eye and they didn't look in my eye back. I said, have a great day. And they didn't even respond. And I'm like, I could have just used the self-checkout and I would have had the same amount of human interaction. (laughs) And this person's just doing their job and, I don't know, probably dreaming of when they're going to get off work to do whatever they love to do, which is fine. I've been there, but it was very, it was one of those moments where I, for all I know, that person could be an NPC. And, and I wonder if it's, if it's worth it to wake those people up or if they're simply, as you said, kind of like playing that role. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit bleak, but in the sense that not all of us are cut out for that kind of thing. Have you ever come across anybody who seems interested in your services who then upon further examination, you're like, well, okay, you got a lot of learning to do before I could help you. I mean, my instinct is that those sorts of people just don't ever float into these waters because they're caught in in the entertainment of whatever's trendy. Yeah. Yeah. So... Actually, one of my first clients was a friend of mine who was living down in Tennessee and working for the government, working for the army, actually. And when we got through the session and she received her talismans, she, I mean, even after the session, she was shifted, but it, it changed her in a way 
that caused her to start like questioning more, not necessarily yet on the grandest scale of what the hell is going on with these control structures, (laughs) but questioning her own responses to her own like physical responses to the environment around her and getting more dialed into self. And I feel like that self-awareness, that's what we need to be cultivating first. Mm. I actually have to say like on that note, this is often a conversation that I've been having this whole preoccupation with ascension. I feel like is such a distraction. I mean, we are aware that it is Abrahamic sort of reinvented ascension mythology, but it, it takes us out of this awareness of the human experience striving for something that honestly we're never going to achieve until we die, until we leave this avatar. And I really would challenge people to start like thinking about this as, and we're not getting on the dimensional thing with the ascension. That's not the point. The point is we're not here to be escaping these avatars. We chose this experience. And so I just want to challenge people to think more about incense, incending, go inside man and start to feel your physical responses to the environment around you, the foods that you eat, the things that nourish you, what you're witnessing outside of you and taking into you and how that impacts you. All of it matters. All of it matters and all of it shapes our full experience. And so there really aren't, and when you're in awareness, there really aren't any questions about why something's happening in your life. Oh, you, the victim mentality dissipates. Yeah. It's absolutely, I love that you brought that up because it is one of the hangups that I notice in the new age world that really kind of kept me away from fully embracing that. I I do find a lot of information in the new age is useful. Sometimes it's interesting, but I've never really embraced that as my philosophy for life because there is that carrot on a stick. And you, you wonder like the Abrahamic aspects of it, if those jealous gods that were described in the olden days are just trying the new, the old tricks on us again in a new form where in the past they kept us preoccupied with if we went to hell or went to heaven and now they're preoccupying us with, well, are you going to ascend to the fifth dimension where everything's love, light and happiness and bliss? And to your point and to your credit, I think that's silly and and we should be trying to incend. I don't know if that's a a term, but it will coin it here on the show. It Uh, is now. (laughs) Yeah, it will transcend these notions and and become more integrated. I think that's really what the, the root of is integrating with the now, this moment that expands throughout what we call our lives and make the most of it. I think that's where a lot of people go astray and to bring that midlife crisis concept back up is that's exactly what that is. It's when someone realizes, wow, the first half of my life has been potentially wasted. Some people come to that realization. I think it's more common in maybe we'll call them like capitalist societies, but really I don't think it's capitalist. This modern society has done this to people. And uh, yeah, maybe the digital world will give us some dissolution from that. But yeah, I I think that when it comes to 
being here in this moment, awareness is key, right? I mean, that's part of why people fell for all of this nonsense in the past three, four years, five years now. And people to this day are still wearing masks. <laughs> it's absolutely stunning. And in this temperature, too, people still have masks on. It's summer right now as we're recording this for people in the future. And uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's silly. But when it comes to awareness, what are some steps people can take now in their life to start to, I, I guess, bolster their perspective and maybe maybe sense things that they didn't? Yeah. So I feel like this is always an individual experience. But first, I want to say that awareness is key because awareness helps us to finally tune our discernment. And when we have finely tuned discernment, we don't fall for bullshit. That's just what it is. So as far as beginning to kind of get into awareness, if you've never meditated before, that's going to be probably the first place you want to go. And you want to not meditate with a purpose of trying to clear your mind. I personally don't think that's the path forward. I think meditation is a way for you to get quiet and start to see the thread, identify the thread and pull on the thread wherever that may lead. Whether you're experiencing like the, I get like a lot of visuals when I meditate. And so I follow that story and I see what comes up and I look for symbolism in that. And I suppose that would lead me to another aspect is like of awareness is really identifying that symbolism. So many things show up in your life on a daily basis that maybe you don't even consider because you, you're not aware about your environment. And when you begin to come become to this awareness of your environment, you begin to detect the patterns of the environment. You begin to see the things that show up for you and the signs that show up for you. And so that helps to establish that thread. I know it sounds super silly, but I actually track the numbers of every day, every date. And and the numbers that come up throughout the day. No, this is not an angel number thing. This is a me seriously trying to identify the coded messages, almost from like a gematria perspective. The coded messages that are coming in every single day aligned with the numbers on those days, aligned with the symbols that come up in those days. Just keep it on like, but if you don't do a journal, keep it in notes on your phone or something. But something fascinating that I noticed just in this little practice and there's probably thousands of people out there that already know this. But again, this is about me talking about my own experience with these things is that when you go through the dates, when you track the dates, it only goes one through nine when you add up the numbers in the date and then reduce them. And I thought that was quite interesting because that is very computer languagey, right? Zero through nine, one through nine. So I just was like, and, and it doesn't always end on a nine. That should be noted. Like the beginning of this month, I have it in my phone. I want to say it started on, on a six yesterday. And so I was like, oh, today is a seven day. This is good. <laughs> but it's just those types of things just become insatiably curious with your environment and with your presence in the environment. And look at all the magical fucking stuff that comes through. It just is mind blowing. Like this... It, it's like living in like a, a fairy tale <laughs> when you start to get down to it. It's super magical all the time. 
And it's like you're getting this sort of living feedback when you start to pay attention to it, right? And to bring back something that I talked about earlier or on a different show, but I mentioned it already, Dr. Birdwell talking about all these numbers and the fractals making up everything we see around us. I mean, you can literally put a number to anything. I mean, as you pointed out, the days, you have a necklace that says 444 on right now. What is, is that number particularly significant to you? Because I know 444 has some meaning to it, although four in itself, I've heard, it can be interpreted as a bad number or a good number, right? There's the four directions. And some people say in China that four is a bad omen, right? So what are your thoughts on four? Yeah. So this is based again on like my personal experience. So four started showing up repetitively for me in one of the sort of gate breakers of the beings that I communicate with. Metatron, I'm telling you, I have other so much to say about that because I do think he's actually the coder of this experience. But 444, I'm going to read to you because my my sister best friend asked me yesterday what she thought it what 444 was because it was coming into her awareness a lot. And Edward was my puppy and when he was transitioning this was the code that was coming up and the time that he started the final phase of his active dying process was 444 and then when he exited his avatar it was 544 or 444 mountain time on central time and so I was like this 44 thing keeps coming up And so what I said is that's Edward's code and linked to Metatron, Guadalupe or Quatlachupe and the realm from which the healers descend, the helpers that come to earth to experience the greatest challenges while maintaining deep empathy and still turning to help humans. It's actually the time Edward began his final phase of active dying and in mountain time, his time of death, when his little warrior soul ejected from his avatar for another mission. I experience 444 as a code of deep transition and transformation relevant to forging a new timeline, one where it feels like years have passed and you may experience existential hallucinations. Note, this is my own experience with the code and not some angel number thing, LOL. (laughs) But that is the significance of that. Right. Wow. Now, tell us about Metatron, because this is a a name I've heard. I don't know if this is someone that, or if someone has channeled this being before, maybe they have, but I have seen Metatron in that same vein, like um, listed amongst these sort of non-corporeal benevolent beings. Who is Metatron? So he is, he was the, he's the only angel. I get weirded out about using the angel term still. But I understand that Archangel is really a reference to Archons and something to be aware of in this experience. I don't think that this is necessarily a bad thing. It just is. Um, but Metatron is one of the Archangels ascended from the human being Enoch and the right hand of God or the scribe of God. But the more I was like experiencing these symbols and these messages come into my life and my awareness I started like seeing this pattern of where Metatron shows up and he shows up all over the place through many different 
traditions in many different ways with different names. And sometimes he's referred to as the lesser Yahweh, but also El Shaddai is relevant to him. If you look at the first seal of the sun, which is actually something that I wear, created a talisman for myself of that. It, it says it has Archangel Metatron on it. He's actually depicted with horns, which as we know is our, our Kundalini energy depicted. And around the outside of this Solomonic seal, it says Archangel Metatron, behold his face and form by whom all things were made and whom all creatures obey. And then behind him, it says El Shaddai. And I was like, this is yet another piece of the puzzle in that don't look at him like God, like he's to be worshiped. But I look at him is basically like maintaining the code. He's maintaining the servers of this quantum experience and helping to code things across this quantum experience. Hmm. Interesting. Similar to, I guess, the Freemasonic idea of the architect, right? Some um, would, would Is that saying too much? Is it sort of the architecture of the universe code in a certain sense, right? Yeah. I think that that's accurate. Oh, interesting. Yeah, wow. Now, when it comes to interacting with a being like an archangel, Metatron, do you think that that's something that people can necessarily wade into? Or is that something that's sort of specialized? You don't need to talk to Metatron unless you have a very specific reason. I am very opposed to like gatekeeping Mm -hmm. and I feel that any human being who desires to be aware and dialed in has the possibility of communicating. But what I'll say is you don't go to them. They go to you. Mm. And again, based on my own experience, they, these beings will begin to communicate with you via signs and synchronicities. And when you're noticing them, then you're able to start assembling those pieces of the puzzle. And sometimes if you are clairaudient, they'll actually say their name to you. This has happened before with other beings that I didn't even know who they were. And I heard this name. And so then I start like looking up like who this might be and go down that rabbit hole. So I do think it's certainly possible for anyone to have interactions. But, you know, I would also say be careful because there's that saying of like, when you speak into the void, be prepared for the void to answer back Mm. or to respond. And I think there's so much around us that visually we can't see. There's so much at play in this energetic field that you may be trying to reach out and tapping into something specific, but you may have something else that's kind of intercepting that and engaging with you. And then you may think, oh my God, like I'm dialed in, this is happening. And then shit will go wrong. And then you got to bust out the ghost box and do a whole thing. So, mm. <laughs> Yeah. Ghost box. I haven't heard that. What's, what's a ghost box? Oh my goodness. I feel almost like embarrassed to talk about this. No, don't. So I've only used a box once and something, I had had a session and I allowed something to come through that definitely shouldn't have been here with this session. And 
a lot of things started to immediately go wrong. And things like, I mean, I, I had a, a metal, a fully stainless steel, immediately after a fully stainless steel French press explode on me, doing the same thing that I always do with French press, like nothing was different. It's very bizarre. And it was like all over the kitchen, got burned by it. And then I started feeling like unnaturally like angry. I mean, like really like seethingly angry, not at the circumstances. I'm just talking about like in general. And so it's really important too, to, to monitor like your own sort of like regulated and dysregulated states to feel into when these types of things might be present. But then I started hearing creaking and I was like, fuck, I got it. This is not, this is not happening. So I got a box and I set that box in the middle of the space where the entity existed. I put a crystal in the box that I believe it had become attached to and basically baited it into the box. And then I took, I used tuning forks and I took those and all around just created such disturbance in the environment. And I could feel the energy shift and immediately close the box and then put some holy oil on it and wrapped it with twine. And that was the experience. And I I do, I haven't buried the box or gotten rid of the box yet. The box lives in a very uncomfortable place because I was not happy about that. I'm starting to sort of remember an episode of Tinfoil Hat where Sam spoke to a, a gentleman who's like a filmmaker who specialized in paranormal television shows and whatnot, and they were using a ghost box. I don't know if it was the same. I don't know maybe if this is like a universal term for the same thing or if maybe there's multiple devices that could be called a ghost box, but essentially this had some kind of technological component where they could actually communicate. Is this the same device? Oh my God. No. Okay. <laughs> Not okay, at all. Okay. Yeah. This was more of like a binding ritual. Okay. Okay. Now I'm starting to understand a little bit more what you're talking about. Yeah. This is something that I think people need to be more conscious of, especially in a country as old as the United States. I mean, as young as the United States is in a land that's as old as it is. That's what mm-hmm. I should say, right? Because mm-hmm. we have this like three, four hundred, five hundred year history in some places. And people want to say, oh, it's the ghosts of colonists or it's the ghosts of this old lady that died 200 years ago. When I think there's maybe something more supernatural to blame, maybe something more omnipotent, something larger than just the life of one. I'm not saying that those types of ghosts don't exist, but I think the majority, I mean, you're you're out in Mound Builder area too, out there in Illinois. So I think that maybe you have a, a more palatable experience of this possibly than I being on the East Coast. But after everything I've researched, it does feel like there's a sort of like resonance that's been well, ignored because it seems like from what we know about Native American cultures, they have a very sensitive and aware appreciation for the subtleties of the world around them. They would have certain areas that they'd leave alone. They'd have certain areas where they'd venerate. They'd have certain areas that were only for ceremony. And now today, if a mine company or a fracking company wants to go and say, okay, we got to get the resources from here, doesn't matter 
to them what the sacred energy of the area is. They're going to get what they want to get. And I think that has some, I mean, this is kind of cliche. I'm sure there's been movies or pet cemeteries kind of like this, but it, it is something that I think more often than not could be to blame. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on how people can go about mediating those effects and sort of harmonizing with wherever you find yourself, apartment or maybe your property, wherever you find yourself living. This is how how do we begin to harmonize with the area? Because if these ghosts are around, is that our only option? Trap them in ghost boxes? Oh, no. See, because there's more than just like one ghost around at any given time. I mean, there's probably hundreds of them walking down the street right now or entities and beings that may not even have been in human form more supernatural than we can even imagine it's just that we're not like visually tuned in right i think again what you what you bring up about like harmony right because all of this is rhythmic this human experience is rhythmic and getting into that rhythm of, I'm going to say it again, awareness, because what you just referenced, well, indigenous cultures are not monoliths and should not be perceived as such. There certainly was a different regard for how to work with the land and how to work with the specific resonance of the land. So for us to begin to do that in our own space to the extent that we can, that's like step one. As far as if, I, I think it's kind of an open invitation with respect to all of the things that are around us. Like you're not going to control all of it. You do just need to live with it. But if there's something that feels malicious and you can feel this through becoming very dysregulated, then you need to do something about it. And that could be the most fundamental cleansing ritual that basically everyone does now with staging their home and opening the windows, ensuring that this moves out. You may need to, if it is a super malicious entity, trap it, banish it that way. And also using sound, I think, again, like the healing aspects of sound can can facilitate an area that feels safe and harmonized. So utilizing tuning forks or singing bowls or just your voice and doing vocal toning as you go around your home and create that space. Those are all good ways. One more thing I'll say also intuitively, because there seems to be like a, 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 I understand we're all here like sharing knowledge, but there does seem to be a pattern in today's day and age with social media where people just basically take content from other people and reframe it. There's like a void in like original thought. And while two people can indeed have the same thought and put that out into the universe, that's possible. I really, I really want to like some drive home the importance of us being so dialed in that we are able to really channel our own unique philosophical information. We need to be deploying curiosity and thinking things through in multifaceted ways. We need to be feeling into those things and how it impacts our body. I mean, it, it just, just like never allowing yourself to have an original thought about things seems so bizarre to me, like always turning to someone else to solve 
for you when you can solve for yourself. And the reason I say this is because a lot of the rituals that I deploy inherently come from inside of me. I just feel like I intuitively know what to do in the moment. And I can't explain that besides perhaps past life experiences with this type of thing. Mm -hmm. But I do just simply feel like I am unlocked to having this information come in. So to be able to do that, you don't have to pay people for these services unless it's like a severe case. You can't address yourself. There's there's a lot of things that we can self-serve on that I think we're denying ourselves the ability of doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Another reason to be aware of where you're leaning on others and yeah with this whole tiktok culture of magic and it's interesting to maybe spread that to people who wouldn't otherwise find it i myself haven't made any videos there yet but but yeah i do think that people have this sort of quick fix idea with a lot of these things when really the best way to, to find a solution is to go within, as we've been discussing here and, and understanding that, you know, your sort of your own intuition, your own judgment might be the best to go with. And yeah, I've found myself creating my own rituals at certain points in my life, going up to this one mountain sleeping giant in Connecticut and then finding out that there's this whole lore about this mountain as a spiritual sort of place. And I, I just intuitively brought myself there. Obviously it's called Sleeping Giant, but it's not just named that because of the way it looks. There's a whole lore and legend about it. And it was very fascinating to look back in hindsight and be like, huh, okay, maybe that's why I brought that quartz crystal up to the to the head of the sleeping giant and had that sort of meditative moment. So yeah, where do we go from here, Hope? I mean, when it comes to these sorts of practices, obviously people are meant to go within and, and discover their own true path. Do you recommend people follow any certain philosophy when it comes to which way to, to go first? I mean, what 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 are your steps to to garnering this awareness i mean i i would do first and foremost like the opposite of following something i mm, think i mm. would get curious first right, right about right. what your real intrinsic values are like what is it you want out of this lived experience that you're having like what actually are your values for this lived experience mm. is it being shaped and, and and framed by some sort of external circumstances or influences or is it something that you've developed from inside and i think figuring that out is a good place to start and then as you're beginning to notice these signs and synchronicities and things that you just might be interested in culturally Go investigate that thing. Get curious about that thing. Like you just said with the sleeping giant, right? Like I would be curious to know what was going on in your life at the time that you were called up there. And was there a synchronicity between the story of that place and the history of that place and, and how that kind of melded with your present circumstances? I think so. I mean, it was a while ago. It's hard to, to look back, but I did bring... A friend with me, friend that's still to this day a best friend of mine I've known for a long time, 
And uh, yeah, it definitely sticks with me. Synchronistically, I don't know exactly what was going on back then. It was probably 2016, 2015, somewhere around there, maybe even earlier. But I do have a picture of myself from back then on Instagram if I go far enough back and I was sitting in like a, a lotus pose on this like cliff rock that's sort of out off the edge there you kind of got to jump onto it and so I had this sort of mystic motif even back then but I definitely uh, it was it was something that I was curious about it wasn't like my whole I didn't understand what I was getting into I guess back then but yeah yeah no it's difficult to <laughs> to place exactly where the synchronicities are how about for you i mean you're out there in the mound builder country do you have any particular areas that you go to i mean you you have done sounds like you did a, a dig at one point in time are there any sort of power spots that you found out there well, I mean, I'm in the city of Chicago, so <laughs> it's a, the lake is probably the most energized mm. spot. The last time I was at a mound, though, was in Beloit on the campus. I had considered for a time going to their school because they're very like archaeology focused. But and indeed, that was a highly charged site. But it has been a while since I have actually been out into the natural world. And so I have to utilize the resources that are around me, which is the park down the street, the lake, and and just experience that for what it is. I, I do want to briefly go back to the remark on like resources though, because I mean, as you can tell, I we seem to both have quite a few resources and this is based on curiosity, but I really would recommend that folks begin to educate themselves around traditional cultural praxis, praxis and practices because everything that has been like modified and commercialized in the whole new age movement actually is something that has already existed for potentially thousands of years. Mm. And so just getting curious around that and beginning to understand that because there does seem to be a barrier between this, I'll call it like the Lululemon yoga spiritualist <laughs> new age thing. Mm. Me. and and actual culture and shared culture and and in the whole sphere of the new aginess you'll also hear things like about cultural appropriation i feel like we hear that across society on 10 and we should never forget that all this is like the only time in history where people are really really gatekeeping this because across all space and time when cultures encountered one another they would share the culture with one another. And when people start talking about how everything is closed, certainly there are some traditional practices that you would need to be invited into. I'm not monolithing this once again, but, but it would really be funny for like folks in today's day and age to tell like the Anasazi that they should not be using Quetzal feathers that were traded from the Mayans because they encountered them. This is just how this works. And this experience in America is the most not melting pot, but mixed salad because all of us have these unique backgrounds and these unique cultural lineages that we have all brought to one another. And so we need to start really getting curious with one another and learning from one another and practicing together in these things, because otherwise it's going to be homogenized and lost to whatever this thing is, this technocratic nonsense that's going on. 
that's my two cents on that. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I I think that is becoming kind of a problem where people, you see videos or people go up to someone and say, oh, you can't have that hairstyle because it's my culture. And it's just very, it's getting very ugly the way people are treating each other when it comes to this stuff. And Sure, people should have pride in who they are, but if someone else likes an aspect of your culture, that should be a compliment, not a not a reason to start a fight with them. I think that's kind of being manipulated from the outside in a lot of the cases. We have these people who are, again, being maybe manipulated by their own algorithm i guess that's the word of the the month for it but i think it's it's more about like taste and where people kind of grow up and who's influencing them and if let's say the television or social media is influencing more than maybe their family or another role model it's not going to end well i i hope that people can find the awareness out of that but that seems to be where the division in a lot of it is coming from is these sort of very snapshot moments that are taken out of context and thrown on the big screen for everyone to have a reaction to and it's it's all manufactured for this result of just keeping us separate in what you're describing this mixed salad melting pot type of equation i agree i think melting pot that only leads to one end result right really a mixed salad the point of having a nice salad is you get to enjoy all of the different ingredients doing their own thing the the various aspects i'm about i was about to try to name salad ingredients but i haven't eaten a salad in quite a while i think people would probably be laughing if I tried to list up what is it in a salad lettuce rutabaga no that's not it anyways so <laughs> yeah I love that I think mixed salad is the way to to describe it and we should be embracing the diversity right that's what this is all about uh, inclusion is about embracing diversity not excluding anyone so why wouldn't spiritual cultural practices follow suit I mean me look around I got Tibetan prayer flags I got this little idol guy from Bolivia, all kinds of other stuff. If somebody saw my, actually, here's a better example. I just saw Manly P. Hall, an old picture of him. All sorts of amazing sculptures around him from different parts of the world. And that's something that fascinated him endlessly was the different spiritual traditions from around the world and where they meld together and where they were unique. Because I think part of being human is we all have a similar but unique way of seeing the world. So when you look at religions, I mean, naturally, they're all going to have similarities. Doesn't necessarily mean they all come from the same source, but they do all come from the same source in a way, right? Humans. (laughs) So... I don't know, but I think when it comes to where we're going next, I mean, what, what do you see with this future ahead of us? I mean, what, where are you hoping we end up? Yeah, my God. So it's such a big question. And like, I, I've been really struggling with this idea of saying what's next from the futurist lens versus just trying to be present with impacting community right Mm -hmm. now, like living community, not trying to impact the chronically online, but 
truly like getting out <laughs> with the people that are physically around me and doing things to build community with them. But the thing is, is that from, again, the real sky perspective, we have 750 more years until the age of Aquarius. And I think that there are many more incarnations for us, people like us, before we reach that point, which would be enlightenment, maybe a renaissance of sorts. Right now, we, we're in, I see a lot of us kind of in a, a, what I call a rewilding revival, trying to get back on the land, back to the land, cultivating the land, living from the land. I don't think it's going to be easy for a while, though. I think that we're going to find our place in it, but we're still going to be inundated with those who do aim to homogenize humanity and and keep us dependent on the 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 big corporate game that's being played mm. i would hope that that we continue to butt up against this by doing simple things like promoting the virtues of regenerative agriculture this is another feature of being back in touch with the old way the rhythms of the land i mean right now the soil is getting so de- is decimated It has very little nutritive value what's being grown on the soil because it's not being cultivated in the way that this harmonized experience, this harmonized biological experience is meant to be. And so we've lost that and we've seen a rise in sickness. We've seen decreasing nutritive value in plants. We've seen the monocropping that takes place with all of the pushes. I love, you know, the folks that really feel committed to veganism, but that's not how the natural order works. And I've been a vegan thrice over the course of my existence and I was no Oreo vegan. I did it right. And every single time became severely inflamed due to underlying issues with endometriosis. And the, the, what saved my life was simply intuitively eating the things that my body needed, which included the animal protein. In any case, I digress from that. But with with all of these pushes for these agendas that proclaim to save the world, behind each one of them, we're actually decimating the land around us and continuing to remove human beings from their place in the natural order, from their place in the natural world around them and their experience with and connect connectedness, inherent connectedness to the natural world. And so I really, I think that it's incumbent upon us to continue like spreading these types of messages about diversification of agriculture again, getting back to small farms, growing ourselves, not using pesticides. Um, Right. That's just fundamental, but I I think that's a big one. I think it's worth noting just because we have to have food to live and we're not on a good trajectory. Yeah, I agree. I think there's so many problems that could be solved if we went back to more agrarian, more rural sort of lifestyle. And I have similar experiences with diet. As far as becoming a vegan, I was definitely an Oreo vegan and my my metabolism definitely kept me going. But I, ever since I've integrated meat, milk and eggs back into my diet, I've seen my energy, my health improve 
even my hair, I mean, my beard grew in after I stopped that veganism crap. I think for three or four years of my young adulthood, I could have had facial hair and didn't because I was sufficiently eating enough nutrients. And yeah, I, that's a whole different story, but definitely a part of this sort of fad that I think people get into because they think it's a healthy way to go about living and maybe has some beneficial effects on the planet. And upon further examination past the superficial, you realize, no, this is indeed bad stuff. And even factory farms, those are wrought with problems, but that's not because eating meat is bad. That's because capitalism and the economy, the way it's set up has incentivized putting animals yes. in this really crappy situation and that could be mitigated by just going back to small farms, local farms. That's really, I think, one of the best ways you can make a change is with where you're spending your money and what do we buy more than food, right? I mean, that's something that all of us spend money on every week, every month. So definitely consider that. Even restaurants, there are certain restaurants that you can frequent that go local and they yeah. will help you in turn support those local farms. So yeah, hope. I think there's lots of hope. Sorry to use your name <laughs> as a little cheap joke there, but yeah, I think there's so much hope for the future and I'm really glad that we got together to have this conversation. Obviously people can book you for one-on-one -on -one consultations. You can maybe help people understand how they can rewild what else are you helping people get in touch with? Because there's been a variety of things we touched on just in this conversation. Yeah. So I'll say being I'm in the process of redoing a few things with my services and the services that I do still, the legacy services that I still have up there, I always want to reinforce that if there are any sort of financial barriers, please reach out to me directly at info at Hope Ascendant and we'll figure something out even if that comes down to like trade, because I just want to be sure that people are reached. But I'm working on introducing death work as a service. And this, this comes through a very long lived calling. Certainly over the course of my young life, I had the unfortunate ex myriad experiences of friends dying, some of them by suicide, some of them with overdoses. And so it just seemed like death was always very present in my experience. But during the 2011 to 2013 period, I was the end of life caregiver and guide for both of my grandparents and walked them through the death process, specifically with my grandmother's. She died in my arms, but I had set the space for her during her death process. So it, there was there was ritual to it. And there's this is probably another podcast in and of itself talking about these sort of death experiences. But the point is, as I feel that I've always been very kind of uniquely positioned to do this work or called to do this work because it doesn't scare me in any way. And and most recently, the experience with my and, and I want to extend this this service to people who are in the process of losing their non-human loved ones as well, because I ended up in the same position at the end of April with my little 19-year-old, I call him first son, and ushering him into his next incarnation. And that was a very 
it was a big transition moment for me. He died naturally in, in my arms, which is something that not a lot of individuals with non-human loved ones experience. Typically, they experience euthanasia. And so I'll be speaking more to that forthcoming and, and what that was like, which is why I've been off uh, kind of off grid for two months now. But I, I think <clears throat> giving a, folks a good death experience and reconnecting folks with death is so needed right now. We're obviously going to be facing the next generation with boomers and their transition. And I think there need to be many of us who are equipped to deal with that. But the the sort of, I'll call it the capitalist approach to death and dying, when you dig in to that and start pulling at that thread, you actually find out the immense corruption behind mm. the death industry. And I really want to start educating about natural dying and get being in the home whilst dying with right. family reconnecting whilst dying and kind of taking the taboo out of death. And so I would say that my particular experience will be very much focused on the vigil process, which is preparing the space for the active dying process and the ritual process post death care and also grief reprocessing. So that will be coming soon. But if that's something that you feel like you need immediately, again, just reach out to me and, and we'll talk. Wow. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I agree. That's something that is needed. And it's definitely a topic I'd love to have you back on to discuss because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this show who are maybe more in tune, maybe more sensitive than their family members they're going to want to learn this stuff. I personally, I'm very lucky to still have three of my grandparents alive, but just two or th well, four years ago now, my grandfather passed away and he in the hospital, of course, he was rushed to the hospital and that's where he passed away. And yeah, I wonder what that would have been like if under different circumstances. But uh, yeah, yeah, it definitely is something that I would like to have a, a forethought about. I'm sure other people in the family, I'm just a grandson, so I'm sure there are others in the family who are above me on the totem pole, but still to make that, at least to get that conversation going about that is important. And I hope other people listening do that as well and bridge that gap and understand that next step with their with their loved ones. So please reach out to Hope if you need some help in that, in initiating that conversation. And I'm really grateful that we started this conversation. I'd love to have you back on soon. And yeah, thank you so much. I'm in the, the new studio, so I'm looking this way at you, but I realize now that that looks like I'm not paying attention. So <laughs> I got to readjust over here so it looks like I'm actually paying attention to you. But I was the whole time, I promise. I was just in my head a few moments ago. Oh God, I've been looking this way the whole time. But anyways, here we no are. No worries. No, you are fully dialed in. I, I can feel it. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> thank I hope, you. I hope the audience has been too. And thank you so much, Hope, for being here. Of course, the links are in the description. Go and follow up with her. Is there anything else you promote and plug? Obviously, your website is going to be updated and remodeled soon. So maybe that'll be done by the time this episode comes out in a few weeks from now recording it. So 
Yeah. I mean, besides hitting up the links, I guess I just want to say thank you. Likewise to all the things you said, thank you for holding this container for us to just converse about all the things. I feel like in such a brief time, I'm like, how many things can we talk about at once? I just want to keep talking. So I do look forward to future conversations, especially on the death topic and kind of digging into that a bit deeper. Mm, Absolutely. So thank you. Yeah. The science of Bardo is one of those phrases I learned about a long time ago that stuck with me. You might be familiar with that. For people who aren't, Bardo, I guess, is the Tibetan art of dying. And they have a whole section about that in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And I remember some strange kid I was friends with when I was much younger. He was older than me. He was reading that book on the bus of all places on our way to middle school. And just stuck with me that he was trying to freak me out, but I actually took it as, oh, cool. Thanks for teaching me that. (laughs) But anyways, we can ramble on and I'm sure we will on a future episode. So I look forward to that. I'll be in touch to schedule that. And with that, folks, please immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, and that was our conversation with Hope Sendin, a.k.a. Hope De La Mora. And, yeah, very happy to have her on the show. You can follow her on Instagram. Check out the link tree in the description if you'd like to contact her and get in touch. She's got some really great services she offers and uh, all of that you can do remotely. Help rewild and unplug. I, for one, have been unplugging a bit over the past few weeks as things get warmer and brighter and nicer. It's weird, uh, you know, two, three, four days there, we had this smog coming down the East Coast, the smoke from the fires. That was an interesting uh, omen of what may come. Uh, Now we have word that there's some kind of gas truck that exploded under an I-95 overpass in Philadelphia. Strange, strange things going on on the East Coast. I hope this isn't our year on the East Coast to uh, to face a little bit of what other parts of the world got in the past few years. Uh, you know, with train derailments and other natural and man-made disasters. Sort of strange. Who knows? Maybe. It's just a matter of perspective. They say sometimes, you know, all these things happen all the time. It's just not reported on as much. So we'll see. But stay safe out there, folks. Support the podcast so we can continue pumping out amazing episodes. I love everybody that tunes into this show. I really appreciate all of you lending your ear each week. I apologize for the gap in episodes uh last week and the week before usually we put out two a week and we are back at at it with two a week so here we are and episode 300 is on the way if you want to hear it now before anyone else sign up on the patreon that's the best place to support the show you can also send us a one-time donation and if you do i'll send you a sticker so send us $5 on Cash App, Venmo, or PayPal, and I will send you a My Family Thinks I'm Crazy sticker. 
we got a bunch of them i just ordered some more and uh we got merch on the merch store we've got a rock fin if you like the video content we've got a youtube if you want free video content and of course patreon and substack the best ways to support the show so please folks don't make me go get a second job i want to be doing this full time maybe even putting out three episodes a week so if you'd like to see that again three episodes a week support the show we got to get up to 200 patrons we're almost there help me do it and uh i hope you enjoy your summer hope you're having a great spring actually yeah has summer officially started yet when does summer officially start this month yeah i hope you've had a great spring and uh yeah let's let's move forward to a really good summer if you have any cool summer plans uh going somewhere interesting maybe somewhere that we've covered on our show esoteric america reach out get in touch tara and i are going to be planning some esoteric america episodes where we actually take a camera out and film record a podcast on the scene wherever that may be we're going to start local and branch out so if you have any ideas on where we should go in the new england area places that deserve to be explored maybe there's been legends or strange encounters weird things going on let me know you know what i just got a message normally i get upset oh no i didn't turn my ringer off but i'm glad i just got that notification because when i had matthew smith on the podcast uh, some time ago i think it was episode 241 something like that somewhere around there well apparently this was just brought to my attention uh, today by someone uh, whose show is called the Counter Cult Podcast. They said that there is a weird voice on the podcast, uh, episode 241, right around the 34-minute mark. It plays three times between 34 and 36 minutes into the recording. So I recommend everybody go back and listen to that. I have no idea what that came from some kind of ghost voice uh, all i know is that i'm definitely going to be covering that recording i'm bringing that up playing it on the 300th episode so stay tuned and uh we'll all be there together wherever we end up in the now <laughs> wherever that takes us anyways thanks for tuning in folks uh, i love you all enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now And of course, we got to give a huge shout out to the Hit Kit, the number one way to get lit, whether you're smoking a joint or a blunt, keep it safe and sound right there with your lighter in your Hit Kit. You can get a custom design, you can get your name, you can get your favorite sports team logo, whatever you want. You can get a trippy uh, piece of art, your favorite tarot card, whatever it is, go to the Hit Kit on Instagram or hitkit.us today and use promo code crazy to save 15% at checkout. Peace.
extraterrestrial Trying to stay human in a cesspool of professionals But I confess too much off of the tongue All my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young I be saying shit and they don't know where it's coming from In like a hundred years we went saw a bomb with guns Check the facts, check the fed, check the stars Stanley Mines was murked for a water fuel cell car They each they own, you could stick with your old ways But eat the rich and drink the motherfucking Kool-Aid And I can see the red on your lip stain White skin, blue collar, pure American made Fuck it Keep your blood soaked heritage And run the soul off the moon landed narrative Yeah, my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts but never question the parenting Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy Good morning in the net feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me My family thinks I'm crazy Think that I'm off in the deep end. One too many Netflix docs on the weekends. But check the budget for a military defense. Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason. Steel beams, another 1492. And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue. And you be lit off the floor, riding ain't got a clue. All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes. Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said. Ain't one brick left to go up in the Fed. They still got bricks of cocaine to make crack. Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack. Talking like this, got kin talking behind backs Too much to unpack, so they talk smack And I'm just trying to converse with my clan But it ain't fan, so I'm here setting up camp Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots, but it's all kinda hazy I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm on American and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me my family did some crazy Baby, baby, baby My family thinks I'm crazy Maybe, maybe, maybe Just maybe Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy Come on, he's in that feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pap thinks I'm on American and shady Baby, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the table BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.